This morning, um, what I want to do is I just want to share my heart a lot about where we've been and who we are and where we're going in 2024. Now, I've got copies of the lesson up here. I've also, I'll be referencing, I've got a page up here for those of you that are interested in some other other things that we've handed out in the past. Uh, we'll be doing a little bit more, make these things available. I had some great conversations, but um, this last service, but what I want to just throw out is that as the Mountain View Chapel family, the vision continues. And so I think it's super important, just like the song that we were singing, um, it's important for us to look at our foundation, how we got started, why we're doing what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing, and if we are staying true to what God has called us to do. So just so um, we've had a lot of um, growth and blessings uh, since we wound up here at uh, Rimback Barn. But I want to just mention, for those of you that don't know, we held our first public worship service for the Mountain View Chapel family on Sunday, September 9th, 2007. Now, all these years, I thought that Sandra was just an amazing rememberer. And then she told me this weekend, the reason she remembers our start date is it was two days after she had hand surgery. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. That would I would remember that as well. So what we've got up here that you can look at, this is our this is the actual original copy that we took to the printer, and we had little printed out white black and white invitations made to just say, Hey, we are launching as a church family. In our original explanation, we were trying to figure out because we've been praying, we've been talking, we were a Bible study that was moving from house to house. And so we're like, okay, well, we'll come up. We, we tried to put a lot of words and feelings and things down in our strategic plan. And, and really what it was is just a lot of like, this is why we believe what we believe and why we're doing what we're doing. And so on page six, we use the term complex simplicity. Now, back then, it still means the same thing, but back then, it's kind of like, okay, why are you talking about complex simplicity? Look at who we are. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, it should be simple. But it has even more important meaning to us today. And what we meant back then is that we listed Matthew 22, 37 through 39, and we mentioned John chapter 13, verse 35 as references for our simple approach to be in a church family. Really simple, but what did Jesus say? Reinforce what the Old Testament truth was. Number one thing, love God and love others. We explained that our faith, and you hear us still talk about these verses, our faith should mirror Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And as we learn to love by faith, because we can't just love out of our human love, it's got to be grander, it's got to be bigger than that. But as we learn to love by faith, it will be regularly reflected in these two basic areas of life. As we are pressing in to learn to love by faith, it's going to be reflected first in our attitudes. Psalm 19 verse 14, which is the motive of the heart or how we think. So as we are pressing in, all of us in this process, our attitude should be changing because of our faith and our level of love for God and love for others. The second thing that should be impacted is our actions. James chapter 1 and 2. Which is the motions of our hands and feet. And really what it boils down to, what do we do with ourselves? 
What do, we do, what do we do with our time? What do we do with our priorities? What do our actions say about our love and our faith? And we stated that we need to follow the example of our Lord and Savior. Really, from the very beginning, what we said is that we're going to be a church family. We didn't have denominational backing. We weren't, we weren't launched from a group that said, we need to do a church plant here. I'm not going to go into all the details, but it was like definitely the Holy Spirit called us out. And for me in particular, there was this constant conversation like we need to start a church. My response, no, we don't. We, we need, you need to be our pastor. No, I don't. And then, so there was this tug literally for almost two and a half years. And so this was God at work calling us out and separating us. And what it was was just a very simple, like, we have to prioritize our efforts and take purposeful steps of faith that keep things simple. That's true today, now more than ever before. Think about this. The simple steps are the most profound steps, and yet they're often the most difficult. There is nothing simple about keeping things simple. And if there's ever been a time where we need to reassess and we need to look in and we need to look at our foundation and who we are. And we're going to continue. We've talked about this over the last six, eight, 10, 12 months that we are going to do this more often because we have to continue to press in to keeping things simple. And yet there's going to be complexity to that. We continue to grow in our commitment to our mission. It is a simple mission, yet it's not natural for most of us. Let's just be honest. We have such a specialized, bombarded, overwhelmed, there's a million things going on, more than ever before, and we have it naturally, but in our world, we can overly complicate almost anything. And so as a church family, we have to guard ourselves that we need to keep things simple. We continue to learn the depths of God's call for our lives, which is to love God and love others. And that means an expanded reservoir. I'm not talking about some of you this morning. I'm going to be really candid with you. Your idea of love is your idea of love. And so you feel like you have a certain size reservoir. And so then when it starts getting full, you start pushing people out. Because you want to keep things comfortable and you want to try to control things. That's not the kind of love that we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of love to where the the reservoir grows and expands. And your love for God expands. Your love for other people expands. And you get to a point where you're just literally in awe and you're like, I didn't even know that I could love like this. And sometimes you'll have burdens and you'll be like, I don't even know why I care so much. That's the work of the Spirit. As we are leaning in by faith and we're learning how to love. When we first launched our public meetings, we were excited to reach the world for Christ Jesus our Lord. And we believe the commissioning for the apostles. The church in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We believed in the simple process of making disciples. We still believe in the simple process of making disciples. You say, Tim, what's the simple process? It looks something like this. It's similar, but it's different for all of us, but it looks something simple like this. A person makes the decision to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Next, 
There's a decision of obedience through water baptism and then celebrating the Lord's table of remembrance. As this person grows through learning the scriptures, learning to pray and learning to love others, there is a spiritual transformation to become more like Jesus. The person naturally wants to invest in others to bring them on the heaven-bound journey with them. I see this all the time. You're growing in your relationship with Christ, and all of a sudden, it's not just about you, and you start looking around, and you're like, oh my word, I want other people to be in heaven with me. And so you start talking to them about this transformation and all this is going on inside of you. That's a beautiful, natural process of what it looks like to make disciples. What we learn within the first couple of years is that our discipleship investment, please hear me, would be more focused on people who had been damaged by hurtful church experiences or damaging church leaders. Still the same mission, but where we thought, hey, we're going to proclaim the gospel. People are just going to be getting saved. People have come to Christ. People have been baptized. Some of you, you've made a profession of, I believe in Jesus as the son of God. Praise God for that. But what has really happened is that we realized that we were reaching people with the gospel, but we were also helping hurting people who had believed they had lost their faith. So, and I've got a copy of this up here. This is a single-page overview that we handed out years ago of what does it look like to just keep things simple. And we've got some copies up here. If you want that, we're going to be putting that on the website at at some point. Um, And super excited to even talk to you guys about some things next Sunday. Is that cool? Still next Sunday? That good? Okay. Yeah. Joey's like, you? You? No, Joey, not you. It's him. It's cool. Um, but I just want you to think about this. That we became, we launched as a family. And when we talk about the Stone Chapel, we're not trying to go back and we're not trying to be, you know, like, oh, this is this. No, it's important for us to go back and remember how we got started, where it came from, and what happened. So... Got a couple pictures, and before we show you some pictures of the past, for those of you that you think you're being funny, yes, we all look younger back then, okay? Can we just get that out of the way? All right? But for those of you that have no clue, this is where we first launched, where we were as a church family. Check these out. Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay. You do realize that that's Annie Grace Herman, who is right over there. Okay, and that's her brother Luke. I said it was Nate last time that I realized, no, Nate was a little bit shorter at that point, and then Nate passed everybody. Well, not everybody, but pretty. have you passed everybody? Okay, there we go. Go, Kathy. Man, Chris looks young, doesn't he? Yeah, this was a work day. The Stone Chapel where we started meeting needed a lot of TLC, so we're doing some things. There you go, look at that. Look at those ladies. Yep, Chris definitely looks younger. Yeah, I didn't. Now, see, I wouldn't have put that one in there, Catherine. Okay, we understand. All right, cool. 
Oh, you, you guys know who this is. That's the guy with all the facial hair at the back of the sound booth, okay? That's Bo. No, Bo did not have facial hair when he was a kid. Isn't he cute? Oh, gosh. There we go. Annie Grace again. Oh, look at it. I have Frank there. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Frank, I'll be nice. So this is where it all started. There we go. So you notice this? Some of you are like, why you guys always like bring your own chair? It's just part of our DNA. We, we move the pews out of there because they, if you remember the pews, they, oh, they created orthopedic problems. Okay. So we, yeah. So we just brought it in there. Okay, cool. Praise God. Look at that. All those kids. Allison, I'm not going to say anything. You know that's you. That's not there. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm not admitting to anything. All right, so with that in mind, what happened is because of what was happening in God's blessings, we began to realize um, that God had called us to something a little bit modified than what we thought. We began to see ourselves, and this is the analogy that I want to use today. We began to see ourselves as an emergency department, a trauma center, or a hospital for people experiencing great hurt, pain, and discomfort. So that when you begin to see yourself that way, what it does is it affects the lens even when you read Scripture. So with that analogy in mind, it's the same way as I'm going to read these this morning. Certain Scriptures began to take on new meaning in our lives as well as our perspective of ministry. First John chapter 2 and verse 6 in the NLT. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So we've already said that in a very simple inception, what we said is we're going to focus on Jesus and we're going to focus on the scripture. And let's be really careful not to mess this thing up because we have a tendency to start lifting up creeds and certain doctrines of men. Let's keep going into the scripture and let's keep this thing about Jesus. So if that's really going to be part of who we are, then like what First John chapter 2 verse 6 says, we need to live as Jesus did. And then when you look at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 16 in the New King James, this is what the, this is what the scripture says. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Because the inference is, You know that as religious people, we don't hang out with those kinds of people. And then this is what Jesus said. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Isaiah 61 verse 1, this is nothing new. The Old Testament proclaims this as well. In the Amplified Bible, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to prisoners. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 in the ESV. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors of few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And you can see that you can easily take the passion of this proclamation and use it in the same analogy that we're talking about. And this is what I want to say very quickly, and I want you to hear me. We are in a great time of harvest if you will believe what our Lord has said, and if you will become a participant in that harvest. I understand the world that we live in. I understand things are changing, but I want you to understand that I am more invigorated. We are more invigorated with the reality of the gospel message and the hope that it brings than ever before. Because the harvest is great. And there's never been a time in this church family where we need, needed more people to move into the hospital and move into the emergency department and move into the trauma center and get your hands dirty and help us with proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. Luke, the physician, became a follower of our Lord Jesus. He gives a different account in the gospel narrative of Luke based on his perspective and professional training as a physician. I'm going to put a link up here, biblearchaeology.org, and I'm just trying to, more than ever before, give you positive quality resources. And you can go there and you can look at Luke, the physician, with Medicine for the Souls, and you can read a little bit more about that. For many years, we've looked at our ministry efforts more through the lens of Jesus' ministry and the lives of publicans and sinners. What does that mean? Hurting desperate people who need help. We are more like a trauma center, an emergency room, or hospital for people who are looking for the great physician. This analogy solidifies our strategy, our resolve, and please hear me, we've got a greater resolve than ever before. It solidifies our responses and our vision moving forward. Taken from an article, a church, a hospital for sinners, not a club for saints, living a fruitful life. The analogy of a church as a hospital for sinners, not a club for saints, resonates with the core teachings of Scripture. It reminds us that all individuals, regardless of their backgrounds or sins, are welcome in God's kingdom. By creating an atmosphere of compassion, forgiveness, and unity, The church fulfills its purpose as a haven for sinners, 
seeking healing, redemption, and transformation. As believers, let us embrace this concept and strive to reflect Christ's love and mercy to all who enter the doors of the church. We want to cast a vision for our future ministry efforts together as our vision continues. Please hear my heart this morning. This is super important because this is a transition that some of you are in. If we function like a hospital for hurting people, then we must come to terms with certain realities of our ministry efforts. Now, this is not just stuff that I read somewhere. I'm I'm letting you into the window of my soul and my own personal struggles as I have learned through the years. But I want you to just think about these analogy applications real quick. And some of you, I'm not throwing stones, I'm just stating (laughs) realities. Many people don't want to go to the hospital or a doctor's office. Some of you are in here. I ain't going to the hospital. Lewis, you ever dealt with people like that? (laughs) There are so many reasons for some of you. There's a lot of needling going on right now. There are so many reasons for this perspective, yet it is still a reality. If we accept this as a church family, then we, we understand that there are some real things that need to be addressed. Then... I want to ask you, who makes the difference in changing this perspective? In the same way that people don't like to go to the doctor or they don't like to go to the hospital, there's people that have that same perspective of church ministry. So who makes the difference in that? Clue? Not me. No, 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 not me. Primarily you. Primarily you. Cindy Napier um, was in the last service. And so I use her as an example because I, it's easy for me to recommend. If you don't know, Cindy Napier is my head trauma specialist with all the scars and boo-boos. Lori's got her own speed dial. So it's really easy for me to say when somebody says, oh, I don't know who to talk to. What do you think I say? Call Cindy. Go and talk to Cindy. Cindy will give you a recommendation. And then what it is, you know when you've had a negative hospital experience or you've had a negative um, experience with a healthcare provider, then when you get one that listens to you and you click with, then other people say, oh, you're like, oh no, 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 you need to go talk to her or you need to go see him because they've been a huge blessing. It's the same way with what we're talking about here with people and Jesus. A second thing is oftentimes people don't want to admit that something is wrong as they have gotten accustomed to their ailment. There can be many reasons for someone to not want to admit their hurts, their pains, and their brokenness. You ever have any friends like that? You haven't seen them in a while and they go to shake hands with you and they're like, Hey, how you doing? And you're like, what's going on with you? Oh, nothing. Why are you walking like that? What do you mean walking like what? I'm fine. I'm like, you got a hip or a knee or what's going on? Their gait's changed. Everything's different because they've gotten so used to the ailment that they don't even realize it. 
You know, the same thing could be true with us in our soul and our spirit. Number three. I'm just saying, not everyone wants to do what the physician recommends or prescribes for good health. (laughs) Not everyone is a good patient. And I think that we need to realize this as a church family. And it's real easy for, I, I know, I, we are the targets. Well, if you were a better pastor, they wouldn't have left and they wouldn't have, you know, I mean, you obviously have some deficiencies. Can we just get this out of the way? Absolutely. I can promise you I'm going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time and you're going to want me to say the right thing at the right time and I'm probably going to fail. I mean, it's just, it's humanity. But the reality is that a lot of us have this whole idea that we don't want to do. And there's so many reasons for this perspective, but it's still a reality. Let me just give you a few. Fear can play a part. Why don't, why don't we listen to what the great physician says? It's the same way when we go to the doctor's office. Why do we not listen? Fear can be a part of it. Lack of trust or belief. Can I interview 15 other patients that have had the same level of success? Then I might listen to you. Well, that's the power of this group is because I can easily say, go talk to people. Find out if it works. Praise God. Sometimes we're just unwilling to put forth the effort. We'd just rather get a pill. I'll move on. And I'm not against pills. So for somebody that's going to say, you no. You get what I'm saying. No desire for true change is it would make us uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Until my dying breath, I'm going to be the kind of spiritual leader that I'm going to press in to make you uncomfortable if that's what you need, and I'm not going to shy away from it. Because what we're most concerned about, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is health. Your health matters. So think about this. When people do admit that something is wrong, they open themselves up to improvement, and then they begin to do what the great physician is prescribing, there's this great sense of connection. As we are experiencing healing and improved health, this process creates a desire to help other people heal. That's really what the church should be about, is as we are experiencing by faith the love and the healing and the transformation of Christ, we see other people. It's not that we're better. We just want them to experience the same health, the same healing. Because I can tell you right now, when I see spiritual healing, when we see spiritual healing, It is a beautiful thing to behold. When I see emotional healing, when I see husbands and wives come to a connection point when they thought that divorce was the answer, when we see emotional healing, it is a beautiful thing to behold. And physical healing, we pray, we seek. But when we see a manifestation of some physical healing, is it not a beautiful thing to behold? Oh, it's wonderful. And I want to share three words that, are, that I think will really help as we function as a spiritual emergency room. Now, I'm just going to say that these three things have really affected me and helped me. And some of you need these things this morning. A reason, a season, and a lifetime. A reason, a season, and a lifetime. 
What really damaged and discouraged me for the majority of my life in ministry was that I had a very naive perspective on ministry investment. I I own it. No one taught, no one invested, no one helped me understand this, so I had to learn the hard way. And I just naturally, when I would invest in people and I would love on them and I'd try to help, I just naturally assumed that the majority of the people in my life and in my ministry realm were going to be connected with me for a lifetime. And when I was younger, I was just like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to have this huge family, and we're just going to live life together. And then when we go different places, we're going to stay. Please hear me. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of feelings of rejection. It was not an easy process. I now understand that a minority of people in my life are going to be for a lifetime. Let me repeat. I now understand that a minority of people in my life are going to be for a lifetime. And please hear me. There is absolutely nothing negative about this reality whatsoever. It really has everything to do with managing my own expectations. This morning, we're attempting to help you manage your expectations of relationships within the local church. I'm just going to tell you my personal struggles in spiritual leadership. If you know anything about me, I'm passionate, I'm wide open, and if you say you need help, I'm going to do my best to help you. So the song that we sang earlier, that's my heart's desire. Father, I want your kingdom come. I want your will to be done. This is your church. This is your body. And yet in the process of personally investing and sacrificing in people, when things change, I am just like you. I can have a tendency at certain times to take it very personally. And so I have to work through the personal hurt and pain of rejection, disappointment, arm's distance, whatever terminology you want to use. And what it is for me as one of your pastors is that I have to look and say, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's a great checkpoint for me because I am not coming on my face before God and saying, Father, I come to you this morning and I'm praying that my will would be done today, right now, the way that I want it to be done, and I want you to sanction my will and my plan, and I want everything to work out based on my expectation. No. I have to use these things as a reminder that I am investing for him and for his kingdom and for his glory because the gospel is way bigger than right here. The gospel is global. It's worldwide. So let me break this down real quick. People come here for a specific reason. Please hear me when I say this. We help them embrace health. And I'm going to say this over and over again. You have not heard. Now we're going to talk about some things this morning that we don't normally talk about. But we're not trying to grow. Do you understand that? 
Our goal is not to grow. Our goal is to be healthy. Our goal is to create health. And as God blesses this congregation and this family, we've got to do a better job and we've got to learn on a whole new level. What does that dispensing of health look like? So think about this. We help them embrace health and they move on to be productive participants somewhere other than MVC. What is our response? To God be the glory, his kingdom, and his church, because it's not ours. We still love regardless of where someone participates. Now, early on, when people would say, hey, man, we're going to go over here. We think that this will meet our needs better. It's, it's hilarious. But there again, because people have a track record of what happens when you move from one branding to another branding, because it's about our branding, And it's like, no, it's about the kingdom. It's about the church. And so I would see somebody in the grocery store. And they're going and they're participating in another church family. And they see me and they can't get away. You know those awkward times when you like, if you could see somebody in advance, you would duck to the next aisle real quick and put your head down and move your cart really fast. But you kind of get caught. And it's like, oh, he saw me. (laughs) Hey, Pastor Tim. And then I just go up and I'm my normal self, obnoxious, like I may pinch, I may hug, I may throw a can of soup at them, whatever, because I want them to know I'm still me and I love you and we're still cool together. You get what I'm saying? Because what we've done is we've created these little club environments. And if you're not a part of my club, then we're not talking, you, oh my goodness, you're not on our playground anymore, so you're not welcome and I'm not going to acknowledge you because you're on a different playground. What in the world? We need to love people and we need to celebrate the body of Christ. Number two. Mm. Turn the page here. People come here for a specific reason. Season. It's already said reason. Season now. We help people learn how to love God and to love others for a season. We invest in people. Hopefully they learn how to, what does it look like to love God and to love others? So then they can participate on a grander scale at some other trauma center. That's what disciple making is all about. What do we say? What's our response? To God be the glory? His kingdom in his church because it's not ours. And we still love regardless of where someone participates. And some of you, you've seen this lived out. And I, we have lived this out. Some of you here this morning, we had somebody in the, sec, in the first service, third time to land here. Said to me after the service. I just want you to know that in my mind, we are lifetime people now. It's cool. We're reminiscing. I started crying because we're sharing hearts about some of the things we've been through. And I'm telling you that for this reason. When they left the first time, when they came, they were traumatized. When they left, we loved them. When they came back the second time, we loved them. When they left the second time, we loved them. When they came back, we loved them. 
You get what I'm saying? It's not about, oh, you hurt my feelings. Oh, you disappointed me. No, it's that we have to functionally live out what does it mean to love God and love others by faith. Please hear me when I say this. We can often misinterpret situations or create unrealistic expectations because, please hear me when I say this, the connection feels like a strong family relationship. And we naturally assume that this situation will continue for the rest of our lives together. And yet, this beautiful experience is only meant to be savored for a short period of time due to the reason or the season. But then if we will look at it through the lens of what Christ has called us to, it gives us a taste or a yearning for something more with the people that we're present with. But you know what most people do? They want to hold on to that. And then what they could have in this powerful way with the people that are next to them, they reject those people because they're still longing for what they felt back when, wherever, at what time. And people say to me, Tim, we're not who we used to be at the Stone Chapel. You know what my loving response is? You are right, and we will never be that family again. We're not. Because healthy things grow. And back then, when you only had 30, 40, 50 people in a building, it's easier to make connections. Guess what? Now... The same connections are possible on a multiplied scale. You just have to be more intentional. Then some partner for a lifetime. We help an individual, we help a couple or a family embrace health. They begin to function as participants in the mission. Then they decide that they want to help on different varying levels. There are so many needs. For those of you that are involved in the medical field, there are so many needs when you're staffing an ER, a trauma center, or a hospital. When you have a group of committed partners in ministry, like so many of you, you help create ongoing change and development to help make us the best responders that we can be for the glory of God. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. Those of you in any shape, form, or fashion, if you were present during the Stone Chapel days, please stand up and remain standing. If you came, Jesse, step forward so they can see you. Come here. I'm proud of you for standing up. Okay. Tyler Jenkins is standing up back there behind the camera. I want you to look in the back of people that are standing up. Thank you. God's blessings on this family are not because of me. It's because you have been faithful. You have participated. You are still participating. And you are the reason 
that God is honoring this family. And the greater things are happening. And I mean that with all my heart. God honors faithfulness. He honors consistency. And your participation in the gospel is the reason why we have experienced this provision through the years. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about this. Because some of you, you were there. You'll know what I'm talking about. Thank you for remaining seen. I'll let you sit down in just a minute. This group of people, did she start already? Yeah. This group of people, when we started, you know what it feels like to have one meeting room, one bathroom, a small worship team, one person on the soundboard, and you put up with a bivocational pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. We moved multiple times around Greene County. I won't tell you all the places we moved. We tried a bunch of different things. Didn't work out. Went back to the Stone Chapel. Then we went to PVCC. From there, we came to Madison in 2019 when David and Caitlin said, Hey, we're going to build a barn. Would you guys like to meet there? And so here we are. Crazy that this summer will be five years. It's mind-boggling. Now we have a large team of people who are partnering in ministry efforts on a public level as well as behind the scenes. We now have two services out of need and not because we want to do it. We didn't go to two services because our goal was growth. We went to two services because of need. Because we had to address certain challenges. Excuse me. Got the sniffles. Over the past six months, we're averaging 258 people in attendance between our two services on Sunday morning. We don't talk about that regularly. But I think it's important for you to understand the context of God's blessings and why we're doing what we're doing. This is one that just yanks my heart. Over the last six months, we have about as many children in our second service as we used to have in attendance at the Stone Chapel when we started. We're averaging 51 kids between this class and that class just at the second service. We had 335 people show up for our Christmas Eve Eve service where... We talked about, tried to challenge people to consider Joseph's humanity. Now, this is the one that blows my mind. And I didn't make a list of every name. But this is the one that I'm full of gratitude. We have between 125 and 150 of you participating in ministry efforts in this church family. 
You don't always, you don't see and understand all that goes on behind the scenes. You may guess and say, yeah, we probably got 30, 40 volunteers helping out with all that goes on. No, I'm telling you, we have between 125 and 150 people that on varying levels. Let me give you an example. I made a, just a quick list. Our worship team, our nursery team rotations, our three to six year old and seven to ten year old teaching team rotations, small groups, our study team, set up and take down teams and people that help after the service with our takedown, hospitality, security, safety team, our meal train, hope for Appalachia, our West Virginia outreach, our Victory 127, and I could list on and on. Those are just to give you a few. Look at the percentage of you that are participating in the ministry. Tom and I, when we were talking, we don't, we're not throwing out numeric goals because we're trying to grow. Listen, a healthy church family, Tom said, can you imagine if we had 90% participation? Because I'm telling you right now, a spiritual trauma center and a spiritual emergency department and a spiritual hospital is needed today like never before. Depression and anxiety, they're real and we're being attacked and there's all these different pressures on us and we need more people participating and helping in different ways. Bob Ellis states in an article, Voices, imagining the church as a hospital for spiritually ill. He says, Jesus often was accused of foolishness because he spent too much time with spiritually sick people. Instead of shunning the broken, he invited them into his kingdom. To be sure, he called those sick of soul to repentance and to move forward toward wholeness, all the time inviting them to come near to him. Jesus never turned people away because they were broken of soul and slow to heal. Slow to heal. The hospital metaphor might also suggest that as a church, we need the soulful equivalent of ambulances to take spiritual EMTs to places in our towns where people are in acute need, hurt by life, wounded by sinfulness, or confused about where to go for help. Mark 2.17 in the NIV, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the right, not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In this analogy, for it to be applicable to us here at MVC, we must participate in our Father's plan through Jesus by the working of the Holy Spirit. Here, In our church family, we are learning to make room for people. All are welcome to come as they are, but we just don't want people to remain the same. We long for health, for transformation, and change for all of us. And please hear me. Only a couple of health care providers... If there's only a couple, there's an absolute limited patient load. But the more people participating and coming up through the ranks and growing and expanding their knowledge, their understanding, 
then you're able to increase the patient load. Please look at me. I need some of you, we need some of you to press in and step up your game because we have never needed participation within this body like we need it now. I don't care. You keep doing that to yourself, but just walk forward toward us. You can do that while you're emptying the trash or while you're helping carry tables or while you're standing out there greeting somebody. I don't know what to say. Stick out your hand and smile. You ever going to an ER? And the person at the desk is miserable and you know they don't want to be there? That's a great first impression. You're walking in going, why did I come here? I didn't want to come here anyway. I don't know why I'm here. Okay, I'm leaving now. You get what I'm saying? This analogy is powerful. Everyone has a part in this ministry And please listen to me. You, every one of you, encourage someone somehow in ways that you do not realize. All the time I have people say to me, I'll say to them, I appreciate what you're doing. You smiled at somebody. No, it matters. Have you ever noticed in our society today, you want to be weird, smile at somebody. Why are you smiling at me? You want to open the door for him and smile. I'm not walking through there. That's a double whammy. You get what I'm saying? It's crazy. But you know what that means? It opens a huge door for us to make a greater impact. From the youngest of of us to the oldest of us, whoever that may be. I just said whoever that may be. I just moved my hands. (laughs) Just getting out of bed, fighting to be faithful, to be here, to interact, to sing, and to place yourself under the teaching of the Word of God is important. Thank you for carving out time to be here today, to listen. It matters because it's a step of faith. Thank you for your participation in the work of the gospel and for helping us move this vision forward. Because of you, this simple approach, complex simplicity. Now you know, it's complex simplicity. We're trying to keep things simple. Maybe you have 125, 150 moving parts. It's a little bit more complex. You got to manage it. You got to do a better job managing. We're pressing into that. We are more excited and more expectant than ever. And our desire is to see the great physician at work in all of our lives, as well as the people in this region. And what we are trying to do is cast a vision to create a supernatural expectation like never before for 2024. Well, Tim, if we get even healthier and more people participate, where are we going to meet? What are we going to do? We got people pregnant and we got ladies pregnant and we got, and we, sorry, sorry. We got ladies pregnant, and we got the nursery's full, and we got kids, and we're running out of space, and I don't know, help us figure it out. 
Don't come and ask me where we're going to go, what we're going to do. I don't know. Help us figure it out. Some of you know somebody that's got 10 or 15 acres that they'll lease us for 50 years. We're heading in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? But it's about us being healthy. Because instead of being focused on growth and numbers, we need to be focused on being healthy. And your health matters. You say, oh, it doesn't matter. No. When you're around a sick person, especially today, you want to clear the out when you're shopping? (laughs) Hey, I get that jar, jar of apple juice. Nobody's here now. Health matters. Let's press in. Some of you, this year, yeah, amen. (laughs) I'm with you. I love that. No, that's good. We need to press in and be the healthiest and help other people be healthy like never before. So, Father, we yield ourselves to you. Father, this is your church We submit to you. We are yours. You are the great physician. And we proclaim if you do not build this, what we are doing is a waste of time. We need your spirit to change our hearts, Father. We confess to you. We can't change anybody. But you can change hearts and minds and souls and you can redirect people and you can transform them and we want to see that more and more. God, we're asking you to do something in our midst that we could not take the the glory, the credit for any of it, Father. We give ourselves to you and we're asking you to do great and mighty things. We are asking for a supernatural expectation, not just for 2024 but for the rest of our lives because of Jesus and by your presence, your Holy Spirit in this world, we lean in and let's continue that heart as we stand and we sing praise through music.